this is Dr. Morris Duffy and I'm joined this morning with uh, Jagtar Singh, who's the chair of the Coventry and Warwickshire NHS. And I'm absolutely uh, delighted and privileged that you could make the uh, few moments to join us, Jag. Thank you, Maurice. And uh, I'd probably echo that by saying I'm the very proud chairman of a very good trust with some excellent staff, but also proud to have been an ex-fire officer as well. Yeah. And, 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 and we'll, we'll kind of get into that. Obviously, this is a very difficult time for, you know, the, uh, the, for everybody around the world. You know, there's nobody that's not touched by this. This is a crisis that, you know, that uh, we have never experienced in our lifetimes or in, in, uh, in, in, in decades or if, even if it's not centuries. Um, and, you know, I can't start without touching upon the NHS. And, you know, the, the round of applause for the NHS was fantastic last night, as it was for all of those support and help people who are uh, who are getting us through this crisis what is happening within you know Coventry and Warwickshire how are you, how are you coping where are you at right now well first of all about the applause I think anything can uplift our staff at this moment in time when they're working the all the hours God gives and doing the extra um, effort that, that's required at this time to support our communities and our loved ones uh, is appreciated. So to everybody that was stood outside clapping and those that couldn't get, stand outside that applauded the NHS and other emergency workers and essential workers, thank you. How are we coping? You know something? It's in times of uh, need, it's in times of crisis where people step up. It's when fast accelerating change happens. It's when innovation comes to the fore. And I've seen things that were taking months, maybe even years to happen, happen overnight. And a good example of that is how we are now doing e-consulting. So patients are being looked after by my excellent clinicians in the safety of their homes through e-consulting, through conversations like you and I are now having. Mm. And a simple example that strikes home to me is my wife um, has been suffering from high blood pressure. She's also got ME. And the tablets were having all the negative effects that some tablets have. She called the doctor in the morning. Within two hours, she'd got an e-consultation uh, from the doctor. A month ago, that would have taken three days. Mm. So I'm so pleased that out of this new normal, will come a much better way of working. Of course, there will be consequences. There will be downsides. But I'm the kind of person who's an optimist. I think we will come out of this stronger and in unity. Yeah, and, and, and I would agree with that. But, you know, and, and as a, a person who deals with change, I, I think that there will obviously be changes within the social, within the physical, within the behavioral, within the workings, all, all of that stuff. But, you know, again, just, you know, people will be interested in you know, your, your views on, you know, where we're at and, you know, I'm sure nobody has got to, uh, well, I do have a magic wand actually because my son was uh, waving at the NHS there. <laughs> he was waving, I saw it, but it's not quite a magic wand. But, you know, any views that you have on, you know, what you think can help, um, where you think people are doing well, you know, what do you see the future being like, you know, coming as a chair of a, a huge trust you know you must have some inside information on uh, what's what's happening and uh, where we're going 
Well, first of all, I think the issues that are out there in the public domain around personal protective uh, clothing for our staff, uh, uh, testing of our staff and our patients, I can give you assurance that everybody in the system is doing everything they possibly can. It's not good enough, it's not fast enough, but that's because we all feel the pressure and the tension. But I don't think anybody is dragging their feet. So for example, my, my local university, Warwick University, they've stepped up to the mark. They're now able to produce PPE, they're able to help with the testing. Local industries that were traditionally doing other work have turned their hand to producing PPE. We're now getting them those fast-tracked and tested so they can be out there used by all, all essential workers that need PPE. In the testing world, we've seen the fastest adoption of testing regimes. They will be out there very quickly. It won't be as fast as we want, but it will be there faster than it would have been six months ago. We will have a vaccine produced for this um, illness faster than any vaccine has ever been produced before. So I think we've got great hope. I, I, I think there's three types of people in this world. There's the optimist and the pessimist. And you know about those. One thinks the glass is half full, the other one thinks it's half empty. But there's people like me who are realists Whilst they're arguing about whether it's half full or half empty, I will drink the, the, the water or the whiskey whilst they're arguing about half full or half empty. And that's what we need. We need more realists, less pessimists and less optimists. Let's get on with the day job. Let's get on doing it. And let's support all those people doing a difficult job. Uh, and I, 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 I'd echo all of that. But, you know, I, I have to pick you up. You, you still owe me that nice on the whiskey. So... Uh... <laughs> So I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to the to that one, right? Uh, a night of whiskey with an Irishman and uh, an Indian. Right? That'll be uh, that'll be good fun. Uh, I would say. Um, but you know, you. you Go again. Yes. Um, you know, you, you you are a leader. Um, you know, of, of a big trust, and you are a leader that that. That, that I admire and you, you bring many of the qualities to leadership that, you know, that I try and teach and educate other people on. Um, you know, and if, if you were to give advice to people that were sitting at home right now in isolation or that were listening to this or even NHS staff that are at home, you know, isolation is a, is a very difficult thing to go through. So, you know, I'm kind of curious in, in looking at you, you know, I know, I know you're in isolation right now, um, you know, how do you fill your day? How do you how do you manage your day? How do you structure your day in order to make sure you know that it has meaning and, and that it has an output? So as I say, for me, I'm a generally very optimistic person, and I I believe that there's not everybody can be like I. Therefore, I I can I need to understand the anxieties and stress of those people that are feeling that the most. So how can I support those? So I've, I've, I've actually uh, forwarded on your links uh, on your podcast. Yeah. I think they're inspiring to help people with uh, issues around anxiety and stress. Your, your brilliant podcast on Taming the Monster uh, is a particularly good one to look at. Um, I also think there's uh, 
tools and apps out there that people in the mental health world uh, have got out there, such as Shiny Minds. So there's lots of tools to help people. But you know what? The thing that I miss the most is their face-to-face -face interaction. And I think those people crave that. And the way that I can support that, I know which members of my staff, I know which members of my family, I know which members of my golf club are this moment in time feeling isolation and anxiety and stress. So I, I ring as many of those as I can in a day, not too many. It's a bit like how much news can you take on board? Watch the news once in the morning, once at night. Watching it all day long will just depress you. So it's how do you manage your time? Get up in the morning, get ready for work as normal, go for regular walks, eat healthily, and look after those that look after you, particularly your wife, because you're now under her feet every day. And if you don't look after her, um, you feel the consequences. That's me. That's my phone. That's my daughter. It's her. It's her birthday today, so she's ringing me. So, uh, yeah, um, oh, she's probably. Where, where's my present? Right. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, and 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 yes, I, I get that. You know, you are uh, obviously a, a uh, you know, well, I'm not saying obviously because people won't know it, uh, and I think it's a bit sad actually. But I, you know, I'm going to kind of share it anyway. Birmingham City supporter, right? Um, so yes. how are how are you doing in missing Birmingham City and uh, the trials and tribulations that they bring to you on a regular basis? Well, that is a really good analogy to use football in leadership and football in this talk here. As a Birmingham City supporter, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. You know, Birmingham City are a club that I loyally support with thick and thin. No matter where they are in the world, they could be in the Division 3 as they have been, or they could be in the Premiership as they have been. But they will always bring you a um, certain amount of joy and certain amount of uh, disappointment but if we use the analogy of the football team right now all those so-called experts on TV and radio that think they could manage the coronavirus better I ask them to think back to how they look at their football team they will always think that their football team would have won by one more goal or two more goals if only the manager had changed the tactics but you know what only one team ever plays and that's a team picked by the manager support your manager in crisis and in good uh, good times because it's your team that matters i absolutely get that well as you know i'm a liverpool fan so i, I would never put out a better team than your club right? because he's just winning and winning and winning right i'm sure when he starts losing yeah. i have many times we all do it better we all think that we can um, kind of find a better way or that we can get a better player or that we can position them better. I, I absolutely... Let me, Let me give you one more analogy. And you know this well as a Liverpool fan. I know this as a Birmingham City fan. You do not know what it's like on the tallest mountain until you've been in the deepest valley. And Birmingham City fans have been in the valley more than you have. <laughs> so... You know, you you have a a fascinating background, uh, Jake. You know, and, and and you know, I obviously know of your, your work with the uh, and we met first through the Asian Fire Service um, Association. Um, you know, and you are you know a, a, a fire officer. You know, what would be good is just give us a little bit about the history about yourself, right? Because 
you know, I know the, uh, you know, the, the peaks and troughs, should I say, um, in the same way as Birmingham City, and you're, you're on the peak right now, and, and, and you have achieved so much, and, and you've contributed so much. So it'd be good just to kind of give us a, a flavour of, you know, where you've come from and, and, and how you've got to where you are. Yeah. I can't keep it very short because it's, it's, it could be a long story at 65 years of age, but no. I was born in India in Punjab in a small village uh, to a poor, very poor family. Uh, my father came to the UK in 1954, worked in the factories. Myself and my mother came in 61. And at the... Uh, we, came, we were the last ship through the Suez Canal. When we landed in Southampton, the uh, um, border agency people at the time said, this passport says Jack Singh is a boy. But, it, but surely he's a girl because I had long hair at the time. Yeah. And my uncle, who was with my mum at the time, said, I think you should just have a look if you want. He is a boy. And then I went through university, at the Aston University, did a business studies degree. And when I came out of university, for people like me with a business studies degree, there were no jobs in business graduates because we knew that racism in the 70s was quite rife. But the fire service took me on. And through uh, the fire service, I was able to go through all the grades as a first Asian officer, first black officer in every grade to chief fire officer level. And then in 2005, I was able to retire uh, from the fire service. And I wanted to give something back all that learning, all that development that the public service has paid for, I wanted to pay back. And the NHS has given me that opportunity to pay back. Wow. And, you know, I, I know that you've shortened the story there because, you know, it, my, my, my story is, is nothing like that in relation to, but I came to, to the UK in the, in the early 80s when being Irish was associated with blowing people up. Um, you know, and, 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 but I, I felt nothing like your pain. Um, you know, so what was it like in, in, in kind of hitting all of those targets, being the first one, being the trailblazer? You know, it must have been difficult and must have been challenging. Well, it was very challenging. And I think a lot of equality officers uh, will throw a black and white picture up as a PowerPoint saying no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Yeah. I live next door to a house like that in yeah. Birmingham, Borsalith. As I got promoted... Um, I was, there was always the knockers who say, oh, you got promoted because you're black. Never recognising the talent, never recognising the achievements. Mm. So it was always an uphill battle to convince people. You, you know, it, every BMEP person or everybody that's different, a woman that's got to the top will tell you, to be me, you've got to be twice as good. And that is so true. Because we, A, beat ourselves up because we want to achieve, we want to excel, that we think we have to be twice as good, therefore we do twice as good stuff. But I hope, and this is where my journey is about equality and diversity is not a destination, it's a journey. We are in a much, much better place today than when I came to UK, better place than when I left the university, better place than when I left the fire service, Two, uh, three years ago, my granddaughter came out of university with a psychology, sociology degree. Four weeks later, she got a graduate job in marketing. That is progress. Now, you're supposed to say you're far too young to have a granddaughter of 21, but never mind, you missed the opportunity. 
Yeah, well, you know, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a grandson that's older than my son, so kind of, you know, I live, I live, <laughs> I live in that zone. I live in that zone myself. Yeah, but I have a, I have a question, which you know, li- listening to you there, and, and and you know, both of us being football fans, and um, you know, uh, and and I work with a number of footballers. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of chatter about you know that we had kicked kicked it out racism out of football. Um, and it seems to have had a research. Um, and I was just wondering what your thoughts on that particular topic were, whether you recognize that or whether you'd have any commentary on that. Well, let's go back to my first point about equality, diversity is a journey, not a destination. The racism we've seen last year is a reminder of that. Mm. It's so much better than when I first started sporting football in the 70s. In the 70s, racism was overt. If you remember Clyde Best from West Ham, if you were black, you could be a footballer, but only a forward, because you didn't have the brains to be a midfield player. And then we got the the likes of Remy Moses and company, uh, who then proved that you could be a midfielder. But then they were seen as you weren't brave enough to be a defender. Then you got Viv Admins Anderson. Then you were seen as you weren't brave enough to be a goalkeeper. Then you got James. So all the time, role models are breaking down these unconscious biases. And the other analogy I'll throw to you is the the cricket one. Cricket, in my time of playing cricket, was no, no Asians in the professional game. And that was because all the role models were West Indians because they were the world champions. But if you look now, British Asians are the majority of most cricket clubs uh, below the professional standard. And even in the professional standard, we've had some really inspiring role models from Rampakash through to Butcher through to um, uh, Monty Panesa. So role models are a real good way of breaking down these con- conscious and unconscious barriers. I'm reminded, let me just tell you a story from uh, John Barnes. John Barnes came to the AFSA conference last year and he spoke about his transfer. The the Asian Fire Service uh, Conference, yes. Asian Fire Service. So he talks about, he said, when I got uh, transferred to Liverpool, there were two racist individuals in the stand and they were sat in front of my parents. And he says, when I opened my debut and scored a goal, these two guys pipe up and said, he's not as black as we thought. So sometimes there's humour <laughs> in, in, in the racism that we see. Yeah, and, and, and there is humour there. And, and I do smile at, you know, some of the incredible and, and, and biased and racist thinking because, you know, it's more to do with the stupidity of it rather than, you know, it's, it's not humorous in any shape or form. But you kind of talk to one of my favourite topics there, cricket, you know. You might be all uh, true into the cricket team, but you're not quite there yet in relation to uh, uh, last summer as we, uh, as we had exchanges on that particular matter. Um, well, so, uh, what you did for Steve Smith, you got for grandson. I was talking to Cameron Bancroft yesterday, you know, so he was due back here in, uh, in April to uh, Captain, Captain Durham, and obviously with the cricket season being pushed off, so, you know, it's... It's not that I'm a cricket fan, but you know I do hope the cricket season goes ahead. And 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 I think that you know in in England there is some unbelievable um, talent coming through. Um, and and I have the 
the, the, the good opportunity of been talking to some of them that you know played for the uh, English cricket team as well uh, in some of the podcasts that are coming up. Um, but you know, kind of have to stay in the moment and have to stay with you know what we what we've been talking about. You know, where where do you think the the government's response is on on the coronavirus? You know, where do you think it's helping, or do you think that we have any issues there that need to be addressed? And I know we talked about the personal protection equipment, and I know we talked about testing, uh, where now they're saying that they're going to do a hundred thousand. Is a hundred thousand a day by the end of April for us, which for everybody kind of thinks, will they achieve it? And I understand they have to have a target and you have to go for it. And I get all of that. But, you know, just talk to talk to where you think the government response is right now. I think the government response has been, A, risk assessed. So they had a fixed plan. That fixed plan has also utilised what I say is dynamic risk assessment. They've been capable of changing the tactic as new evidence emerges. That's not weakness, that's strength. I think that the testing regime um, now as planned forward is the right way forward. And, and I, I, I'm conscious of my own advice that we only one person picks the team that plays. Mm. And I don't want to be a, 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 a armchair critic. I'd rather advise and help and support. So my, 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 my focus is on how do we get out of this? And I think we will get out of this. If the quicker and speedier support we can give to the labs that are producing the vaccine, the better. The quicker we get this pinprick fast test that can be done immediately on the spot, the, the better. And I think then we can start truly assess. But as a fire officer, I was often I often did debriefs after a major incident. I think that will be the critical factor. What are we learning from this? Mm. Many pundits have already said, this is not a scenario that couldn't have been planned. Mm. We could have planned for it better because it's a scenario they knew about. Now, I, I, when I heard that, it took me back to my Fire Service College days when I was an instructor at the Fire Service College. There were two scenarios we used to put out there. One was an aircraft crashing on the M1, and the other one was aircrafts crashing into multi-story blocks. The firefighters at the time would go, come on, Jack, this will never happen. It happened in our lifetime. Mm. This virus has spread fast across the world in our lifetime. Let's make sure that the next time something like this comes, we're more prepared. And that would be our legacy of this time for our future generations. We owe it to them that we did leave a better legacy for them from the learning we take from this. Every major disaster, you get pub public figures come up, we will learn from this. And do they actually learn from it? Or do they repeat the same lessons of learning every single time? That's my big frustration. Let's learn from it and let's put things in place that will ensure your, your son, my grandchildren, will never face this devastation again. No, that's, uh, that's, that's very honest and, 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 and very frank. Uh, and, and I support that. You know, I, I can't finish without kind of going back to our, our first uh, encounter, uh, which is the Asian Fire Service Association and, and you know, the ambition um, 
and the work that they do, you know, uh, across the world, which I think, you know, at the time I was most impressed with them. And subsequently, when I've heard some of the stuff that you're doing, and it would be good just to share with people, you know, what's your ambition and what's your plans for that, because it is a very dynamic uh, and integrated organization that's doing some remarkable stuff. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about the Asian Fossil Association. First of all, the most important thing those that don't know about it must know is it's an inclusive network. It isn't just for Asian firefighters or Asian fire officers. Our, our conferences have more people that are not Asian that are Asian. Secondly, it's probably the one staff network that people could come along and go, wow. So is that what a staff network can do? So what we've done uh, internally is sign up to all those equality objectives organizations have. Recruit more people from a different background. Help to progress them. Ensure they're not disproportionately disciplined. Uh, give mentoring and coaching. But then the next bit is just as important. How do we use that workforce to reduce inequalities in our community? There is the reason why we do it. And then the, the, the other strand of this is a charitable work. So when we first set up, we watched Waterway do great work and, they, and their work was 500 lives saved a year with a water well. So we picked that strategy up and we got 15 water wells uh, in South Asia, each saving 500 lives each. We go back and we repair them. But from that, uh, our partnership with the NHS, with the paramedics, a great guy called Dennis Moss. We send firefighters and uh, paramedics over to train young people in schools, first aid, resuscitation skills. We've adopted a blind school in Amritsar where we've uh, supported them. So, and then in, pa in Pakistan, we've got a project called uh, uh, Fire Punjab where our firefighters are going over to Pakistan and helping that country build its resilience around terrorism, around firefighting. So, um, and of course, the last thing that you and I like, we love to party. We want to celebrate our difference. So every conference has that celebration element as well. That's absolutely brilliant. Jack, I could talk to you all day. Uh, I, I thank you for obviously taking time out of a, a very busy schedule. You, you are a remarkable leader. Uh, you know, chair of Coventry and Warwickshire, uh, you know, the work that you've done in the fire service, um, the role model that you have done through, um, you know, being the first kind of black uh, person uh, right through the Asian service. Um, the eloquence with which you speak about what I passionately believe about, which is the new leadership for the new model. So um, thank you very much for your time and uh, good luck and best wishes and a clap for all of the NHS. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Maurice. It's a pleasure talking to you. If you're interested in change, mindset and personal development, whether in your personal life or career, you can head over to maurystuffy.com forward slash resources, where you'll be able to access loads of inspirational material, articles, podcasts and motivational thoughts, as well as meditation and visualization exercises. You can also get in touch with Dr. Maurice Duffy and his team by email on let's talk at maurysduffy.com. And don't forget to follow him on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Simply search for at the Beak Squawks. <laughs>